Welcome to the final episode of Law Matters with Catherine Henry Lawyers for 2022. This year has been pretty tough for many as we navigate a new world post-COVID lockdown. Dealing with family at Christmas can be hard, especially if there are legal concerns around custody and access. There are also issues that come up at Christmas about care for ageing relatives. If that's you or the situation for someone you love, you'll want to stay listening as my team delves into the tough conversations that sometimes happen at Christmas. It's important to have quality legal representation at this time to smooth out the problems. I'm Catherine Henry of Catherine Henry Lawyers in Newcastle, Australia, and I hope you really enjoy this episode of Law Matters. Hello, I'm Rob Dilley. I am the practice leader in relationship law at Catherine Henry Lawyers. And I'm Marianne Patterson, Senior Solicitor in Family Law at Catherine Henry Lawyers. So, Marianne, Christmas time, here we are again. This is the time we all wait for. It's when we get a break from work and the other stresses of life. But for many of us, especially people in the process of separating or those in family law proceedings, well, they may need to do some careful planning to make sure things go a bit more smoothly. Definitely. It is a time of year that does require more planning and more patience, especially because this time of year really is about the kids and families. And we do want to make things run well for the children and families um, in our lives. But for many people, that's easier said than done. And there are awkward conversations, let's be frank, that people may have to have at Christmas, whether it's on the day or even after seeing the family members. So we'll also talk about wills, estates and elder law matters. But first, we're going to look at family law and try to provide some strategies for families to help navigate the Christmas period. Marianne? Look, the courts are going to put the kids first. The courts are bound to put the kids first, their best interests. From a legal perspective, the children should be, will be the focus of, of any legal matter. Speaking as a person, if Christmas is about nothing else, it always has to be about the children. So the children enjoying themselves. It's a time when I feel we need to focus on what's going to make the kids happiest and what's going to make the day memorable and enjoyable for the children. Good communication really is the key. Um, Yes, again, it's easier said than done. Um, But I do feel that if you If you think about what's going to make Christmas best for the children and give them the best time possible, then making arrangements with an ex-partner or an ex-family that you don't necessarily get along with all that well is going to be much, much easier. So are we saying there that where um, there's um, potential tension between the family members that what they need to do is trying to come to some reasonable set of arrangements prior to Christmas? Definitely prior to Christmas, as early as possible. Don't leave it to the last minute. Don't leave it to the last minute. So what's the sort of things that families or, you know, in particular parents should do to help the kids get that enjoyment from Christmas? It's important to have a good plan for how Christmas Day itself is going to run in terms of times, drop-off places, what children are going to be doing so that the day runs smoothly and there's very, very little room for arguments. Also, you need to have a conversation about Christmas gifts. We don't necessarily want to be doubling up or trying to outdo the other parent, which does unfortunately happen in some cases. But of course, Christmas Day isn't the only part of Christmas. Um, there's there's organising holidays, there's um, getting ready for school next year. Uh, 
all these things need to be discussed. What we're trying to do is avoid arguments. So so having the conversation, raising raising the issues, whether it's by email or text or or just giving your ex-partner a call. Yeah, but these are conversations that, well, we can talk about this across the table like this and it's relatively easy for us. These are ideal circumstances. Um, when discussions break down and disputes arise at Christmas, there are obligations on each of the parents, aren't there? There are, and parents do have a responsibility. And, and this is one of the things where the law is really quite clear here. Um, the, the law says quite specifically that the best interests of the child are the paramount consideration and a meaningful relationship with both parents. Now, that's in purely textual terms, pretty straightforward. But what does it mean for families? Well, the way it was explained by a judge to me one day across the bar table was that it is not the parents who have a right to spend time with the child. It's actually the child that has the right to spend time with the parents. And that for many people is through the looking glass. They don't understand that how their rights can be subjugated to the child, but the logic of it is really quite straightforward because when you put the child first and you start thinking about that child as the reason and the motivator for everything you do, it clarifies all the future decisions you need to make. And it also stops you focusing on just trying to defeat the other person because a lot of clients come in um, to me and I have to have the unfortunate conversation with them uh, which runs along lines of, look, I know you're upset. I know this is a difficult time. I know you're angry and you're probably angry at your ex-partner but it's not your ex-partner that you have to defeat. You actually have to communicate with them. You have to co-parent. And that idea of co-parenting is something that people don't talk about. They never unpack that in any sort of real sense. It's just there in the background. It's like part of the wallpaper. But when they separate, now they have to think about it. Now it becomes something that they actually have to address head on. And it's our job as practitioners, in my view, as something we need to explain to them. And it's not easy to do, especially when they're, they're cranky when they're, you know, hurting and it gets worse at Christmas. So for those families who don't have anything in place at the moment and are wanting to be organised for Christmas, yeah. there's a few things that they can they can do, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a range of, of tools in the toolbox, if you like. Um, if they've had a chance to do mediation, that's always a great way to unpack disagreements. And even though mediation might not provide them a complete parenting plan or the basis for consent orders, and I'll get you to talk about those in a sec, mediation might still provide agreement on a range of points, but what it'll do is it'll highlight the points that they don't agree on. And what's crucial for parties going forward is to figure out these points of disagreement because if it comes to the ultimate deadline and they can't disagree and they've got to go to court, those points of disagreement are what gets unpacked in front of the court. But in practical terms, the parenting plan is a pretty good way to get people moving forward. And I know you've had a fair bit of experience with parenting plans. Yeah, even though the parenting plan isn't 
a legal document as such. It is definitely something that the court will consider. Well, just explain to people what a, why a parenting plan isn't uh, a legal document. A parenting plan is a, a document that outlines an agreement between parents about how their children will be cared for, the time they'll spend with each parent. It differs from consent orders. Consent orders can be exactly the same agreement as a parenting plan. However, that agreement is sent to the court and the court will take a look at that agreement and um, if they decide it's fair and, and it's in the best interest of the children, then they'll give it their, their stamp of approval and those that agreement will then be enforceable. Um, a parenting plan doesn't have that scrutiny of the court. So whilst it can be a very, very useful tool for parents to organise how their children are going to be cared for, um, it isn't legally binding. No, but uh, uh, the practical uses of a parenting plan is that it can be done pretty quickly. It can. You don't need to run a parenting plan by the court or even by a lawyer for that matter. You can literally put it together with you and the other person. Ideally, though, you'd probably do it with a mediator so that you've got a neutral party there giving everybody a, um, an objective, unbiased view of what's in the orders. Um, sorry, not the orders, in the parenting plan. Um, but as you say, it differs from consent orders. Consent orders take a lot more time to get and it requires the overview of the court. I think the other thing to say when you're getting close to Christmas is that if you can get agreement with the other party and you can sort out some of these issues, you're, you're well ahead of the curve and you're going to be doing the best you can for the kids. And as you said before, Christmas, it's all about the kids. We want to make sure that they're cared for and, and insulated from any sort of conflict. Yeah. So, so do you have any examples of how you would insulate children from conflict? There's no single answer to that. There's a variety of strategies that parents can employ. And I have one matter in particular at the moment where the parents um, have a high degree of conflict and they are working very hard through their grandparents who have become de facto mediators for them. And the grandparents of the children are very focused on trying to make sure the kids have a happy Christmas. So the parents are actually using the grandparents as a back-channel communication. At the forefront, or at the, at the sharp end of the, the wedge, if you like, the, the two parents are communicating via email. So we're seeing everything in written form. And what my client is doing, and I'm sure what the other parent is doing with her lawyer, is showing us the email traffic and asking for advice about what's being said. And the advice generally that I'm giving my client is don't inflame the situation. Don't pour petrol on the fire. When tricky questions get asked or when it looks like um, there's an accusation being made, don't take a swing at it. And I tend to use sporting analogies and one of the common ones I use with clients is um, if there's a wide ball being bowled, don't take a wild swing. If you get a bouncer, just duck underneath it. Don't try and turn it into a victory for you because one of the big mistakes that people make in family law all the time is to try and beat the other party. And I have to say to people again and again, if you try to just beat up on the other person in family law, you'll be the one on the wrong end of the stick. 
And it's harsh advice to give people sometimes. They don't like to hear it. But in terms of managing conflict and making sure people not only adjust their attitudes but are also equipped to deal with, you know, perhaps an unfortunate attitude from the other party, um, we're in that difficult situation as practitioners is trying to give them the tools to manage both those circumstances. So, yeah, on the one hand... um, Try to use every means of communication available. If the grandparents are there to assist, that can be really useful. But also, if everything's in written form and they're giving you an opportunity to see what's there, you can then give them some advice on how to handle those specific um, tension-causing circumstances. So following COVID, this Christmas might be the first that many people have spent together since the lockdowns, um, and it does raise the potential for some tricky situations around the Christmas table. Well, yeah. I mean, the other thing to remember there too is the divorce rate is spiking. So there, there must be a lot of families out there this year that um, find themselves in this new situation where they need to have something in place so that Christmas runs runs as smoothly as it always has. Marianne, something I see a lot in these matters is parties trying to get a situation resolved as quickly as they can, and families are complicated things. Even without a lawyer, it can take many months for parties to finalise a set of orders that work best for the children. Absolutely. People really have to be patient and not expect an instant solution. Hello again, I'm Rob Dilley, Practice Leader, Relationship Law at Catherine Henry Lawyers, and with me is Marianne Patterson, Senior Solicitor in Family Law. Marianne, I want to talk now about some of the other tough conversations that might come up over the holiday period. What happens if during a family get-together there has been a noticeable change in the health of ageing relatives and the conversation of care, nursing homes, all of that starts to come up? Well, ideally, a power of attorney and enduring guardian document would already be in place. And also, one of the important things that people should bear in mind is that your attorneys and guardians need to know where it is. If you if you can't find it, it's not very useful. And this this leads into that issue again of communication. If you have a power of attorney and enduring guardian let people know, let people know where it is. As lawyers, we often get family members who come to us on behalf of a relative who needs a power of attorney or an enduring guardian, but it may not always be possible for us to take instructions from a family member. And it may not always be possible for us to take instructions from someone who no longer has the capacity to give those instructions to appoint a power of attorney or enduring guardian. So in those situations, there's very few other options than to go to the tribunal and ask the tribunal to make an order appointing a financial manager or a guardian. It is a tricky position for family members to be in and that's why it's so important to get those documents done whilst you have the ability to make them. Absolutely, and and this touches on the issue of capacity. Um, when people make a power of attorney and they've done it early, that's the ideal situation when they've had capacity to make it. If circumstances change following that and their capacity diminishes, that power of attorney can't then be changed except by an order of the New South Wales Civil Administrative Tribunal, what we refer to as NCAT. The processes of going through NCAT are not 
terribly complicated because NCAT's set up in such a way as to invite self-represented parties. That is, no lawyers. They try to keep lawyers out of it as much as they can so that they can keep things simple and try and get the direct evidence, if you like, from self-represented parties. So they hear straight from the horse's mouth, as it were, without lawyers interpreting or funneling information. So, Marianne, how can we make sure our affairs are in order regardless of our situations right now? Well, you've just spoken about powers of attorney and enduring guardian documents, which are documents which allow you to appoint someone who you trust to make decisions on your behalf. Power of attorney relates to financial decisions and legal decisions, and an enduring guardian relates to health and lifestyle decisions. But There are also other documents which are important. You need to make sure that your wills are up to date or your family trusts or testamentary trusts, if that is the document you use to express how you want your estate to be divided. And even if you do have your will in place, it could be time to update your will. For example, if you've had children since you made your wills and You need to make arrangements for who will look after those children if you were to pass away. The general advice in making a will is, in my view, you make a will as if you're going to die tomorrow. You don't try and plan for every single contingency, but you do plan for the things that you know about now. So if you've got kids now and you suspect you might die tomorrow, then you put in place a testamentary trust to make sure those kids are cared for. Um, If you've got um, an elderly partner and it's likely that they may well outlive you, you might want to put into your will a clause about them being able to live in the matrimonial home until they're no longer able. So there's a bunch of provisions and clauses that you can put into your will to provide security for your family after you've passed away. And these things change over time. You might make a will tomorrow and then in five years' time something happens which means you have to change your will again. It's an updatable document at any particular point in your life and circumstances change. Life is messy. So you shouldn't hesitate to change your will because it is really, of all the legal documents you can ever put pen to paper on, in terms of value for money, it is the single cheapest, most important legal document you will probably ever have in your life. These are difficult documents for people to complete sometimes. There's a lot of thought has to go into them. I think the job of a lawyer when it comes to wills and estate planning, is to just make sure that the right questions are asked. And it helps enormously if the the person seeking to make their will knows the, the key questions, like, you know, first and foremost, who's their executors? Who's their primary beneficiaries? If there's young children, are they the second beneficiaries? Are there special bequests that maybe go to an animal shelter or the Heart Foundation or the Cancer Council or something like that? People have a range of interests that grow throughout their lives and they may want to see those organisations benefit as well. Of course, this is all a function of how big their estate is and we may have to advise them on how best to deal with that. But what we can't advise them on is ultimately what goes into the will. They have to make those decisions. It's a bit of a grim topic, but just like finishing all of our work before the holidays, putting your affairs in order will help you to enjoy the holiday season more, knowing that no matter what might happen, you're covered. 
So on that note, it's always busy in the lead up to Christmas. And so I really hope you do have a great Christmas break. You too, Marianne. I look forward to working with you again in the new year. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Law Matters. I'm Catherine Henry from Catherine Henry Lawyers, and I sincerely hope you don't need to talk to us about family law. But as you've heard today, navigating these difficult situations well from the start can make all the difference. So if you do need to talk to someone about these family issues, please get in touch. My team are here for you. Before we finish up for the year, I would like to take a moment to extend well wishes to you and to your family for the upcoming Christmas and into the new year from all of us at Catherine Henry Lawyers. This podcast was produced by Liz Clarkson of Nurtured Content and Sarah Shands of Point Five Productions, sound engineering by Sawtooth Studios. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. You can also subscribe to Law Matters with Catherine Henry Lawyers wherever you get your podcasts.